first and foremost, just my life has changed. But basically, like, how do you attempt to do remote learning and also maintain some sort of sanity as a family, but also get, you know, do a full-time job in half the time? I struggle with all this stuff, and I don't, I don't know how you don't struggle right now. This is not business as usual, and it's not about how do I basically pretend that nothing has changed, right? It looks different. I wanted to know that I was making the right call. And, you know, the reality is you don't have that. And at the end of the day, you just have to make a judgment call and you have to live with the consequences. And um, and so, and, and not making a decision is a decision. From Bridger Media, it's Leading Through a Pandemic, a limited series production. I'm your host, Allison Bajacharya. In this series, we get to talk to some everyday people who are work heroes, leading organizations that are serving historically marginalized communities through some crazy challenging decisions during this pandemic. We'll learn how they're approaching choppy waters and how they identify a North Star in a time that is so dark and stormy. Today, we get to hear from Meg Ansara, CEO and founding partner at 270 Strategies, a public engagement consulting firm that grew out of Obama for America. She was the former Battleground States director for Hillary Clinton and is a mother of three. If you can take us back for a second, you know, what were some of the organizational challenges you were grappling with at the time? Like what was keeping you up at night or or what was occupying most of your working time? So, you know, I think for wearing my 270 hat, it was really about our company was going through a transition and kind of beginning a new chapter. And so figuring out what that looked like and how to both embrace change, but also figure out kind of what needed to stay the same and how to take a team through that. I also co-founded a new organization about 18 months ago called Organizing Core 2020 that's focused on developing a thousand field organizers who are hyper-local and diverse training them really in parallel to the primary, having them ready for the general election um, in June of 2020. And so a lot of my time and energy has been spent on that organization because it's doing something the Democratic Party has never done before. And three months ago, we were really focused on recruiting our second wave of core members and also really thinking through how to integrate them into the general election. Well, so fast forward to today, where we're now in quarantine and organizing in particular, you know, is something that relies on generally person-to-person relationships and in-person interaction. How is your time and how have your priorities and sort of your focus shifted? I mean, first and foremost, just my life has changed. I have three kids, two of whom are in K-12, through have like daily school assignments, but aren't quite old enough to be able to do it independently. And then I have a three-year-old who like desperately wants homework. So my husband and I have this juggling act of, you know, I'm with them in the mornings and then I work in the afternoons. He works in the mornings, has them in the afternoon. We alternate in the evenings, but basically like how do you attempt, you know, to do remote learning and also maintain some sort of sanity as a family, but also get, you know, do a full-time job in half the time. So that is a big source of energy and some days are much better than others. And, you know, we have family members who are sick and so we're figuring that out. On the work side, I think with 270, it's been really about like, how do we first and foremost take care of our employees? We're a remote company. And so, you know, we had staff in who were working with a client in London that we had to bring back. 
we had to make decisions around like shutting the office and, you know, how do we support them first and foremost and make sure that they're safe and have what they need and also recognize that it's not business as usual. A lot is changing right now with our clients. Everything is different. You know, we've had projects that we're working on before be shelved. I'm doing a lot of executive coaching and working with largely nonprofit leaders around how they lead their teams through these times of uncertainty and also manage their own anxiety and fear. And then a ton of work, both through Organizing Core, as well as my clients around what does this mean for organizing and the election cycle, because this changes everything and there's no corollary. And so how to better understand who's going to vote, who's not going to vote, how voting changes, you know, when you shift to largely vote by mail, how um, how do you campaign when you are doing it almost entirely virtually? Uh, again, what changes, what stays the same? And then also how is the hearts and minds of the electorate changing? So in many ways, it's been like the busiest time that I can remember, but the needs are very different than, you know, what I was working on with folks three months ago. How are you managing all of that? Like, is there anything you've identified as like, this is a thing I have to be consistent about or... I absolutely cannot do these things at certain hours. Like are the parameters or a North star that create sanity for you? You know, I've had to be pretty rigid about the schedule and, you know, I'm super fortunate in the sense of, you know, my work does work remotely um, and folks have been really understanding, but you know, you, you have to say no a lot. And I've had to be pretty strict around the schedule because, you know, the minute I try to multitask, like, everything goes to hell. And my kids, you know, they just can sense it, their little spidey sense. And so I really try to stick to the schedule that we had. And, you know, I think for me, it's constantly reevaluating if the plans and decisions that we made as a company or with my clients, you know, they're, they're your best attempts as what you think makes sense. But everything is changing so rapidly and the uncertainty is so pervasive that I feel like you have to ensure that you've got really good feedback loops and you're constantly evaluating and reevaluating as kind of more is revealed. And yeah, as you know, as a company, we talk to each other a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I find I'm talking to friends and family way more than I usually do. I'm reading a lot of young adult, strong, epic female heroin fiction, and that's been great and escapist. I try to get outside every day. I think you can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself. And that's hard to do right now. And it doesn't look like day long self-care days, but it does look like 20 minutes where you're like, I'm just going to be by myself and, you know, not be doing something for someone else. And even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes, those 15 or 20 minutes can really make the difference. Absolutely. So we've known each other, I think for about seven years now. Um, wow. you always yeah. have like, wow. <laughs> you That's always so have cool. this just in- incredible sense of like wisdom and grounding and calming effect on me. But I'm also always curious, like, is, is the advice you give others also advice you're able to practice? <laughs> Not and I all. ask that now because I'm also coaching and finding myself like being a bit of a hypocrite from time to time. <laughs> oh, not at all. I mean, I do this in my parenting too. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think a lot of my work as a consultant and a coach comes from actually just a lot of empathy and a, an ability to be able to relate to what folks are going through and a desire to help folks not learn the same lessons that I've learned, but hopefully less painfully. 
so it's not like a, I have all the answers. It's more like I've been there. It's really hard. And so here's what I've learned often from missteps, which is just a different frame. But no, I, I mean, I would say everything that I'm working with other folks through, I myself have my own version of it. And, you know, sometimes you can go into work mode and just sort of be in a different headspace. My husband says I use a different voice when I'm in work mode, which he does not <laughs> like when I use with him. But um, but I think sometimes it does give you perspective to see your own stuff through a new light. But no, I I struggle with all the stuff, and I don't I don't know how you don't struggle right now. No, I asked that I asked that intentionally because I just think this is such a messy time, and it's like there's something comforting about the reality that it's messy for everyone. But I do think there is a potential newfound empathy that many people are identifying as they're, as they're grappling and figuring out where to find hope in such dark places. Just, well, just on that point, you know, I had a moment a couple of weeks in, it was like the three week school closure became, you know, oh, okay, this is going to be like six weeks to the whole rest of the school year. And I, I had to stop myself and say, this is not business as usual. And it's not about how do I basically pretend that nothing has changed, right? It looks mm. different. We're all in the house together, but the end result isn't the same, you know, it isn't, hasn't changed. And that's just not true. And it's not true for my kids and their schooling. And it's not true for my work professionally. It's not true just at a personal level. Like this is big and it fundamentally changes everything. And I think once I stopped trying to cr- like basically survive and like cram everything in, like, how do I just get through this? And instead, like lean into the change, it actually got a little bit easier because I wasn't just pretending that, oh, we just happened to all be at home, but we're still going to school and doing work and running a company and helping to lead a brand new nonprofit. It's like, no, I I have half the time to do it. And it's just not going to be the same thing. And it's not because I'm not efficient and focused. It's just like impossible. I mean, there are moments where I look up and a half an hour has gone by. I've sent one email and I'm just so in my head and I feel so distracted that I just can't get what I normally get done, done. So, you know, you just have to adjust, I think, everything. So as somebody who is always interested in politics and especially curious how this plays out, you know, what is your insight you can share or what are what is maybe a silver lining that you think? could play out as everyone is shifting how they're approaching the upcoming presidential election? Or is there a silver lining? I mean, I, I was a voice of this is going to be really hard. You know, people were kind of referred to me as a negative Nelly, which I I was a battleground states director for the Clinton campaign in 16. So you can't go through that experience and not just be chastened and definitely humbled. So I felt like things were pretty hard before. And then this happens and arguably makes it you know, the most complex and difficult election cycle we've ever seen, and one that has such high stakes. I think that, you know, and and especially because I'm working primarily with young people through this organizing core effort, what I've tried to say is there's definitely lessons learned, right? There's experiments that have been run around how to talk to people virtually and, you know, how to do remote voter contact and what does vote by mail mean and how to get people to change. And, you know, So there are definitely lessons to be learned from the past or from other geographies or states or whatever, but this really is uncharted territory and everyone who works a cycle has an opportunity to, to really create and innovate. And, 
you know, that's going to lead to some failure and, you know, misses, but I think it could also lead to some real imagination and new ways of doing things in ways that we've needed for a long time. I think often in the political space, there can be a lack of imagination and you just, that's just not going to work this cycle. At least that's my hope. Can you give an example of that? Um, <laughs> this is super uh, nerdy, but like there's very real conversations about changing um, reporting structures and organizational structures on campaigns. That's like so overdue. We still run largely the same, and this is on the democratic side, which is where I come from, but like, but largely the same structure that I was a part of in 2004 when, when I worked on the Kerry race and it's siloed by departments and like, that's just not how the world works. You know, you've got your field over here, your digital, your comms, your data. And it's like, some of them have grown larger, right? Like digital has grown larger, data analytics has grown larger, but that's not really how the world works anymore. And I feel like for the first time, there's a recognition of that and a desire to do things differently. You know, I also think that there's just people are thinking about voting differently because so many people are voting differently. And so in many ways, especially when you're talking about your organizing efforts, it's largely you have to treat everyone as a sporadic voter because so many people are going to be voting in a different way than they've ever voted before because they're going to be voting by mail and and they need help doing that. And that could lead us to think differently about who a likely voter is and in my hopes, expand the electorate, right? And to think more broadly and in a more diverse way about who we can turn out to vote because we're going to be doing things differently. This is very optimistic, which I don't feel a lot of the times, but those are some of the things that I hope can happen. And also we just have, thanks to things like Organizing Core and others, a lot more young people and just more diverse people participating, you know, running for office locally, running campaigns, you know, in the 18th cycle, 40% of the campaigns for Congress were run by women. And that was unheard of, right? And so by getting more and different people into the process, that's going to lead to different perspectives, different ways of doing things. So those are some of my hopes sprinkled in with a lot of fear and concern. You ran Battleground States field for it for, for Hillary in 2016, while also, by the way, having your third child. So you are somebody who's led, but also navigated multiple aspects of uncertainty at once in really high stakes times. And I think a lot of leaders who are in similar positions right now are um, inherently and understandably like feeling a sense of paralysis. Is there wisdom or insight or lessons you've learned when you've been in that place where you have high stakes and you're being pulled in many directions, all of which feel like incredibly urgent at once? Like how, how do you figure out where to go next or even how to take a step forward? So being Battleground States Director definitely was the hardest job I've ever and probably will ever do. You know, I was managing 12 states, two congressional districts, about almost 4,000 people. And in just a very unpredictable election, like one of the many things that makes Trump so hard is that he doesn't follow any ideology or sort of traditional playbook. And so it's actually very, very hard to counter. And so even in that cycle, in ways that I think foreshadowed where we are in his administration and, and particularly right now, like we were just in uncharted territory in ways I don't even think I fully appreciated. And I was pregnant. I had my third son. 
six weeks before election day. And so I took about a week off and went back, which was incredibly hard. You know, I think that there were two things that were really helpful for me during that cycle, which I definitely have thought about now. One is just getting comfortable with the discomfort. It doesn't feel great to not know what's going to happen or to not know I made the right choice. You know, the the stakes were really, really high and I felt tremendous stress. And I, I, there were a lot of times where I had to make calls and I wanted to know that I was making the right call. And, you know, the reality is you don't have that. And at the end of the day, you just have to make a judgment call and you have to live with the consequences and not making a decision is a decision, right? Um, especially in, in something as fast paced as a presidential campaign. So part of it was just sort of saying, it, this isn't going to feel great. I'm not going to feel resolved and just getting used to that discomfort and then just really committing to myself to, to not be afraid to pivot, right? Or change my mind if I still could because you you know you're constantly adapting and revising but like getting used to the discomfort and the uncertainty you know that's definitely true now right there's so much uncertainty and we're not sure when the certainty is going to come and so part of that is just really wearing on itself and you just have to say this is where we're at and even within that how do i make decisions which is the second great piece of advice that i got which is um to establish like three to five max decisions like sort of a a filter or guidelines for making decisions because in a campaign it's so fast paced and you know, you're exhausted. The volume of decisions you have to make every day is just totally mind blowing. And it's really easy for your emotions to get into the way. And, you know, whether you're just exhausted because you're nine months pregnant or postpartum or just personality differences, right. is high stress, high stakes. And so having, a core set of things to evaluate every single decision with forces you to be intentional and forces you to be more responsive versus reactive. Whether you're having a good day or a bad day, whether you have a personality difference or not, whether you're scared, you know, or not. Um, if you come back to kind of that holy grail, which for me was how can I directly connect the lines between this decision and reaching 270 electoral votes? And then, you know, how does this position us to be dynamic and flexible because the campaign was so dynamic, right? And so things that were super static, super complex, we had a really compressed time frame. It just didn't work, right? And then third is like, what is the impact of this on our people, our staff, our volunteers, and our voters? And so if I force myself with every single decision to think about that, particularly the top one, like how do I directly connect this? It just forced me to make better decisions And again, I think to be responsive versus reactive. And I think when emotions are running high, that can both help you just manage the stress, but also hopefully lead you to make better decisions as well. And those things should be unique to a person and their role, but I think they can establish a North Star that help you get through what is a roller coaster of emotions and, you know, hopefully feel like you still see kind of the path through the woods, even if it can be pretty dark and shady at times. That was Meg Ansara, CEO of 270 Strategies, former Battleground States Director for Hillary Clinton, and mother of three. Stay tuned for next week when we get to hear from another friend and work hero, Colleen Kerr, founder and CEO of One City Schools and former president and CEO of Urban League in Madison, Wisconsin.